protester. But that doesn't mean I don't hold some beliefs very dear. I'm just not a loud or aggressive type of person. I'm much more the gentle, calm sort of activist. And I gather from this research that many others are just the same as me. So craftivism, coined in 2003, is the 21st century's pacifist alternative to in-your-face activism many crafters use to have their voices heard. Meaningful change can be affected quietly, respectfully, yet quite vocally by anyone without having to weigh into a picket line or handle unwieldy and unsightly placards. Craftivism is a gentle form of protest. It's not extreme, yet allows makers a platform to voice their concerns and opinions about social justice, political viewpoints and environmental issues. Craftivism is activism plus craft. And it's about starting a conversation. That's the true essence of craftivism. And while craft isn't a term I like to use, it's fitting in this instance because the protest is enacted through myriad crafts and by all sorts of makers, makers who care and want to voice their opinions through what they know best. Protest methods can be as diverse as knit-ins, yarn bombing or guerrilla art or as simple as making statements through the work you love to create on your own. So, Stitch Safari listeners, let's look at the various ways craftivism is used to deal with a diversity of topics from social justice, women's rights, politics as well as environmental issues. It's a form of protest not easily ignored. It's colourful, meaningful and worked in the spirit of a single maker or as a collective or community of makers. Craftivism. It's a 21st century form of peaceful protest and it works. Hello and welcome to the Stitch Safari podcast, a sprightly and upbeat expedition into the alluringly appealing ambrosial world of stitch history, art and embroidery. Each fortnight we'll trek through and discover the utilitarian, the decorative, the quirky and the just plain fun world that is the art of the needle. My name's Cathy Jack Copeland and I'm the Stitch Safari Expedition Leader. I'm an Australian textile artist, teacher, judge, blogger and stitch enthusiast whose work in contemporary machine stitch became my business. The term craftivism was first conceived by Betsy Greer in 2003. Betsy believed that Artists needed a term to express how their craft was socially and politically motivated and that the very essence of craftivism lies in starting a conversation. 
and makers use what they know, the techniques their mothers or grandmothers taught them, such as sewing, knitting or crochet, to build momentum around their courses. Causes. <laughs> These makers, known as craftivists, make content that is thought-provoking in a non-combative, compassionate and respectful way. I think craftivism really began as a community or collective idea, but there are many artists who work alone, using their abilities to create entire bodies of work around a single topic of protest. And I have to say, this is the form of craftivism I find most empowering and inspiring. So, where did this idea spring from? from the domestic traditions of the home, from the darning, mending and weaving that was seen as everyday women's activities. And therein lies part of the reason why these ancient crafts received less respect and acknowledgement within the world of fine art, compared with that of male artists, of course. This work was seen as trivial, menial and ho-hum. They were the domestic duties women performed without thought every single day. But within every stitch, every warp and weft, every pull of a thread through fabric was the fulfilment of a need to survive, a love for family, as well as the enabling of creativity. This form of work was never respected nor integrated into a profit-making system of value, even to this day. And this explains why these often marginalised traditional techniques were subverted and innovated mainly by women, closely aligning them with all three waves of feminism. Kits, transfers and ready-made designs or the consumer-friendly crafts also helped to diminish the creative status of women who wanted to employ a craft but didn't have the time or energy to design themselves. So for many makers, craftivism is simply a step in a slightly different direction. It's a reclamation of the techniques and traditions their forebears used and that they now use as a form of protest, enabling them to reconnect and create an identity with these female-dominated art forms, shattering that public-private binary. The anarchist knitting mob held a massive knit event in Washington Square Park, honouring the passing of activist Jane Jacobs. Trees, benches and light posts were decorated with colourful yarns and knitted patterns. It must have been visually stunning, not to mention memorable. Yet some feminist art dialogue excludes craftivism, deeming that it reinforces the domestic light of craft and women and is seen as retrogressive of the female, feminist cause rather than a subversive tactic. Who's right and who's wrong? I have no idea. But for me, it's the form of protest that 
comes complete uh, oeuvres of identity and personality, full of meaning, symbology and deep thought, leading to exciting and thought-provoking exhibitions or installations that most grabs my attention and notice. Yes, I can see value in different forms of craftivism, but either way, these age-old techniques empower. And in this fast-paced, ever-changing world, makers are again picking up a needle and thread and using traditional techniques to actually slow down, showcasing a voice that can make a positive change. Many have gone back to working with their hands instead of sitting in front of a computer screen, engaging that haptic sense of touch in the perception and manipulation of objects, the needle and thread, the yarn or the fabric. Our senses are stimulated and uplifted by these objects rather than drained and exhausted from endless hours of screen work. These crafts are an antidote to our modern world, enabling new narratives that are intergenerational and intercultural. They reach out to form bonds of friendship and community. And while women have long used their crafts to fight male authority and oppression, men have actually become much more open and expressive themselves in the public arena. Many male artists working within the textile genre use their skills to produce work around identity, culture and the environment as well as politics. Paul Yore is an Australian artist whose work includes tapestry, banners, quilted hangings, embroidery, mixed media and large-scale installations covering political, religious and LGBTQ themes. And it's amazing. This thought-provoking, multidisciplinary artist engages with the histories of religious art and ritual, queer identity, pop culture and neoliberal capitalism. His work is intensely coloured, intricately structured and powerful. But what of the more commercial com campaigns successfully run against large corporations? Sarah Corbett from the Craftivist Collective began a gentle campaign against Marks & Spencer, one of the largest retail companies in the UK, to pay their employees a living wage. 24 loyal M&S shoppers, were, who were also craftivists, were assembled by Corbett into a team targeting board members, chief investment officers and M&S models. And with just five weeks before the AGM, each were assigned to embroider handkerchiefs for each board member with messages and designs that inspired empathy and action. And... It worked. With messages such as kindness is always fashionable and always welcome and being good is good for business. The messages were positive and gave their campaign a winning chance. In 2016, Marks and Spencer agreed to pay above the current living wage rate. But the Craftivist Collective has also been used for other objectives, such as guerrilla crafters, shop 
dropping, a term I've never heard before, whereby handmade messages were left in the pockets of high street fashion garments during London's Fashion Week. The tiny scrolls were inscribed with messages such as, If we are what we wear, then shouldn't we try to make sure that our clothes are made by garment workers well, who are treated with dignity and the planet is not harmed during the making of our clothes? And this heartwarming gentle protest used by the World Wildlife Fund carried out by the Craftivist Collective for their origami migration campaign aimed to save migrating birds from dredging, creating a tender airscape of origami birds of all colours and sizes. And it was mesmerising. Let's not forget the use of vintage thrifted and repurposed garments in order to minimise waste, fully acknowledging the finite resources of our planet and the value of quality over quantity. People are reverting to and looking for craftsmanship. Crafting has, at its heart, a regard by people who actually merit their time over money. But we now also see craftivists' efforts for social justice, such as sweatshop labour, being aided by the use of the internet, where digital images are now translated into downloadable designs for needle crafts, such as crochet, knitting and embroidery. Groups such as the Sisters in Stitches established in the 1990s to raise awareness for a number of causes via the use of quilting, one of which is anti-racism. Just look at the work of Bisa Butler and Faith Ringgold. Both use colour and moving imagery to captivate via their quilted artworks. One thing that these handcrafted protests signal, perhaps more profoundly than the messages themselves almost, is that sense of care, closeness and reflection. In fact, the manifesto for the Craftivist Collective commits people to be welcoming, encouraging and positive, creative and non-threatening with a focus on global poverty and human rights injustices. Guerrilla kindness, an idea initiated by Australian Seraphim Lothian, who uses craftivism to make people's days brighter by leaving a small handcrafted item on the streets for people to find and take home, creating joy in the lives of passers-by. But if you think craftivism is a new idea, think again. Protest was being used via the conduit of craft from the suffragettes to Gandhi, from the Madre de la Plaza de Mayo, an Argentinian human rights association formed in response to the national reorganisation process by the military dictatorship of 1977. Mothers began demonstrating in the Plaza de Mayo in front of the presidential palace. 
Afterwards, they began wearing their missing children's nappies as headscarves in order to stand out from the crowd, embroidered with the names of their children, along with the words, Alive Reappearance. How heartrending is that image? Let's not forget the Names Project AIDS Memorial Quilt conceived in 1985 during the early years of the AIDS pandemic, weighing it at weighing in at an, a whopping 54 tonnes, apparently the largest piece of community folk art in the world as of 2020. These few examples show how craft has combined with activism, enabling that creation, uh, creation of a dialogue around difficult subjects by simply adding creativity, compassion and care into these issues. And if anything, that combination of craft and activism has been a game changer, making the playing field even larger, but more importantly, making it visual. And therein lies its power. Who wants to see angry crowds or boring placards? Much better to walk into a park yarn-bombed in spectacular colour that simply begs the questions, why? What's going on? Or to receive a lovely handkerchief with a thought-provoking message, kinder and, to my mind, far more memorable. So by taking away the angst and anger, what craftivism has done, in my opinion, is to use a stronger, more far-reaching voice. Even Gandhi knew this in 1946 during the run-up to the historic 1947 partition of Pakistan and India's gaining independence from Britain. He said that for him, nothing in the political world was more important than the spinning wheel. And he used it as a metaphor not only for politics, but India's ancient work ethics. He alone reclaimed it as an important part of people's lives and through his actions, the spinning wheel helped reinstate the Indian textile industry. In fact, the spinning wheel in India became an icon, helping to redevelop India's nationhood, identity and economy. Now that's true power. Craftivism effects change with a needle and thread, one stitch at a time. It may be considered slow, but its power in soliciting interactions and responses gently opens those doors to engage in conversation able to solicit widespread participation and policy reform. And it's done with dignity and reverence. It's also a means for many craftivists to grieve and process their own traumas. And that alone can be life-changing. It's utterly fascinating to me that these ancient crafts that have been part of the fabric of our lives for eons keep making a resurgence and revival, keep offering ways to explore history, oppression, social injustices, politics and queer aesthetics. 
You don't need to be an artist. It's inexpensive, portable and can be worked on at home using only a few basic tools and materials. There's power in silence and domesticity. And that's what craftivism is able to tap into. And people are so clever and creative. Hu Yin Wong embroidered the rapid declines of some of the world's top stock markets onto face masks during COVID-19. She was questioning health or wealth. Simple, voiceless and clever. There's a lot to think about in this episode and it's been a bit of a game changer for me, I have to say. I think of those poor mothers in Argentina, of the myriad peoples in India working at their spinning wheels and those simple handkerchiefs that help bring a fair wage to workers in the 21st century. We have that power in our hands. I wonder what we can use it for. As always, thank you so much for your time. I love having you here and it's truly appreciated. Tell your friends to tune in and subscribe and let's make 2023 the best year ever. Stitch Safari's now reached over 14,000 downloads and that's all thanks to you. It's also been mentioned as one of the 20 best embroidery podcasts of 2021 by Warp Magazine, listed as one of the top shows about embroidery by Repod in 2022, recorded in the top five textile industry podcasts you must follow in 2023 by Feedspot, and listed globally in the top 10% by Listen Notes. And I'm extremely grateful. Please leave a message and subscribe to the Stitch Safari podcast because there's just so much more to discover and it's all so fascinating. I do post interesting tidbits on Instagram and Facebook from time to time as well as book reviews and a blog on the Stitch Safari website. So do head on over. Till the next exciting episode of Stitch Safari and our next inspiring adventure into stitch, embroidery and design. Bye for now.